get in the chat and tell me if you could hear the music a second ago, the theme music. I'm seeing thumbs up. So you guys could hear that music. Yes. That's so weird. Why can't I? One second. Thank you for your patience. I'll put the music back on while I figure that out. In the tall grass, wish I had a pilot podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scans. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beauty Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. This well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, and I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime to be. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kinda understand it. Wish that it didn't get so large I could play pool with the planets. I'm just going to stop the music. I still can't hear it. I think it might be some weird internal soundboard issue, but all of the um, feed coming in from my computer seems to be working okay, so let's just get started. I'm reading some of the comments. No, 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 that's not correct. But I appreciate the feedback. The It's not, it's something intrinsic to the soundboard, but I can't deal with that at this moment because we don't have a ton of time tonight, so let's go ahead and get into it if it's not uh, not too bad. Today, we had a really exciting interview. We had Chris Smalls, leader of the Amazon union battle in Staten Island, the first successful union struggle at Amazon in the country, and he gave us some pretty interesting bond moats this week, including some critique of how the drive went in Bessemer, Alabama, their lack of receptivity, to the advice that he offered as an Amazon-specific unionizer, which is kind of surprising and a little disappointing to hear. I'd love to hear from some of the folks from Bessemer about why it was that the input that was coming from people who were in the unique position of having worked at Amazon and having organized at least the walkout that he had already organized back in the beginning of COVID in 2020, why that input wasn't more readily received. I'd love to hear both sides of that, but it was certainly was interested, interesting to hear a different perspective of what happened after we had done that Be uh, Bessemer coverage last year. 
And also some additional insight, not only into the brouhaha that happened online with AOC, but some of the backlash you received for going on Tucker Carlson. I'd love to hear it from you. Um, okay, great. I'm seeing some mixed reports. Someone says they can't hear anything, which is conflicting news. So I'm going to ignore that. And I'm going to go ahead and just start taking callers because I'm not going to be around as long today because, you know, I'm going to continue hosting Rising this week and have to be up in the morning. So uh, no no war, Chris. Welcome back. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hey, Bree. Good evening. Um, nice interview with Chris. That's Paul. a bummer because I can't hear you no war, Chris. What the dickens oh, is going on? Ugh, guys, I think I'm going to have to wait. Let me try one thing. Just bear, bear with me for a second. Okay. Be the Verizon oh, guy. Okay. Can you hear me now? All right, we're back. I just rebooted the machine, and I think everything should be working okay now. Okay, Chris, I apologize to everyone. What's on your mind? Can you hear me now? I can, Chris. What's on your mind? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, great interview with Chris Smalls. That was, that was great. He was on with Jimmy Dore today, too. And, you know, um, as you said to him, and uh, as Jimmy did as well, and as is obvious to anybody who watched, um, he did such an amazing job with Tucker and not allowing Tucker to steer the conversation and, and he just took control and, you know, AOC is irrelevant to this conversation. She didn't show up, nobody showed up and she didn't, they didn't make a difference in our election. We won on the merits of it and, you know, he just did such a great job. Um, yeah. and, uh, Something I did want to say first off before I mentioned that, but forgot. Uh, I saw you in Glenn's space last Wednesday or Thursday, mm-hmm. and he had such high praise for you, and it was uh, really awesome to hear him uh, praise you. And I buttressed it in the uh, in the comments section. Um, you are a uh, a uh, a great treasure, and I keep pushing that um, interview you did of uh, Ro Khanna couple weeks ago where you uh, basically beat him up uh, in the nicest way possible. And that's, you know, just to say something for Rokana on that mm-hmm. is most people won't go on shows where they know they're going to get hard questions. Mm-hmm. And you got to appreciate Rokana where he, he was willing to go on to shows and take hard questions. Um, it's true. I know some people have been saying, you know, how do we hold people accountable? You know, if we were to support, you know, some of the progressive candidates we have had on recently or Nina Turner, whomever, how do you hold people accountable? How is Shama, excuse me, held accountable? And I'm not entirely sure what the answer to that is, but it certainly has to involve submitting yourself to these uh, progressive media interviews. So I, I do applaud him for absolutely. that. And I will say also that I've reached out to some other squad members in the wake of the uh, congressional uh, progressive congressional PAC endorsement of Chantel Brown. And hopefully at least one of the squad members will come on and talk about what they think of that all, whole thing. Some of them aren't completely lost to me yet. I'm very disappointed in all of them overall, but you know, Corey Bush stands out as still at least trying to fight sometimes and not completely um, co-opted by the establishment and Ilhan as well sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, hopefully one of them will come on 
and talk to you about these things. And, um, you know, I suspect you'll hold their feet to the fire just as you did, Rob, if they do come on. I suspect uh, the same. <laughs> And yes, Glenn, Glenn is such a doll. He was so sweet to say those kind words. And I, you know, the feeling was really mutual. He's been a real kind of treasure and almost mentor to me ever since we were together at the intercept. And I just, I value him enormously. Oh yeah. I forgot you guys crossed paths in that way before, mm -hmm. but that's awesome. Um, anyway, do you have any questions for me? <laughs> Should I, Chris? I don't know. I'm just curious. I just, Somebody did that on uh, on Matt Taibbi's call in like a month or two ago when he and Glenn were speaking, and I just thought it was hilarious. I've done it a couple times lately. But do you have any questions for me? Any anything you want to ask me? Is there anybody or any subject you'd like to see covered in the upcoming weeks? Um, more union coverage. I think Chris Malls is great, and you know maybe somebody from Starbucks. Uh, what's her name? Layla Dalton? Is that what her name is? Well, I definitely have an interview scheduled, hopefully for tomorrow. We had to, it was supposed to be today, and I think it's going to go tomorrow about the Starbucks, uh, Starbucks organizing that's happening in Seattle. That should be appreciated. Also, I'm working on getting Kim Kelly in for a time. As soon as I get through her book, she sent it to me. I got it about a week ago, and would love to talk to her about that as well. So, Hopefully, you will be satisfied by those. But if you have anybody else in particular that you're thinking of, I'm happy to hear it. I always love suggestions. I wish I had a roaming producer who could just basically funnel interviews into a machine and just have them sit in front of me like a round robin uh, speed dating kind of situation. <laughs> and it would make my job three times easier. Not that I don't hear enough Aaron Monte, but he's always supremely interesting. Absolutely. And I think you guys could have a great conversation and a good good back and forth. I think you guys see most things similarly, but he's a little more in international issues and you're a little generally, I'm generalizing, more focused on domestic issues. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The have. only reason he hasn't been on already is because we ended up doing the having um, Max Blumenthal on because he was the specific subject of the Rokana interview. And then it just felt like we were doing nothing but Russia, Russia, Russia. And so I backed off of that for a while. But we're going to totally. have to reboot that. I see someone saying Jane McAlevey mm -hmm. in the chat. Uh, longtime listeners of Bad Faith po po Podcast will know that we had Jane McAlevey on, I want to say, probably about, about a year ago probably about exactly a year ago, but I'd love to have her back and revisit it because that was before anything had concluded in Bessemer and we were in a kind of a different place. I wasn't so boldly condemning organizing. No, I, I'm not condemning organizing, but you know, being quite as um, suspicious of the way your organizing is sometimes brought up to derail conversations about kind of more specific direct action. And I'd love to have her back to talk about what she thinks is the the Staten Island victory and what she thinks went wrong in in Bessemer and what went right in Staten Island and what right, she well, makes of it as yeah the answer to that question I mean the the Bessemer situation was run by you know unions and union bosses and and people have been in established unions for a while and haven't created new unions in a long time as we've watched union uh, participation diminish you know rapidly over the last you know five ten fifteen twenty years and chris smalls has a different chris smalls and his uh and his team have a different 
tactic and a different approach. And he, you know, as he, he talked about, I think today with Jimmy and with you as well, I believe he went down to Bessemer and they weren't interested in hearing anything. Out of right. Day. So I'm not asking you literally, know? I'm saying that because Jane is on the other side of that as a professional organizer, I'd love to hear what her side of things are and what she makes of that criticism as, as someone who is a professional organizer, who is affiliated with specific unions and isn't advocating necessarily to start new unions the way that Chris has done, you know, so that would be another yeah, side totally. of things. And I'd love to maybe yep. get them even in conversation with each other, but I appreciate you calling in as I always, saw, Chris. And thank hey, you so much. For I the just saw something comments. flop in and I wanted to ask you about it. I got a New York Times push notification right now, and there was also this uh, the court decision earlier that the mask mandate on planes is not legal, and I just saw four major airlines, the four largest, uh, this is a quote from New York Times that just dropped uh, onto my phone as we were speaking, the four largest U.S. airlines dropped their mask requirements for domestic flights after a judge struck down the federal mandate. I'm curious if you have any reaction to that and on I what will, basis was the mandate struck down that they couldn't prove that the cdc was uh uh protecting anybody i believe yeah with i that. mean that feels right it's it feels right look i'm not look i i'm someone who look i on rising last week for instance kim did a radar uh comparing the rate of uh, uh you know uh, covid infections in counties where they had mask mandates and where they didn't, and there's no difference, right? But I'm also been so right on this, yeah. But I'm also a person who has some questions about. Well, we've never gotten good guidance about what masks are more or less effective. They only kind of begrudgingly admitted recently that all of the paper masks and cloth masks that people have been using aren't effective. I've been in the KN95 or higher camp. You know, unless I'm if I'm getting to the elevator and going down to walk outside, I'll wear like a flimsy mask. But if I'm going to be sitting inside, sitting in a car, sitting in a nail salon, sitting on a plane, sitting on a train, subway, something like that. I'm KN95 or higher. And I am curious about what the difference. Well, there's like the N95. It's like the the real, the N95. Okay. Like the medical grade one, which I don't have because, you know, I never really sought to get. But at one point I had like a few of them, I think at one point. But, um, and, you know, I don't know. I would love to see studies on that. So I'm someone who personally will be wearing a mask on a plane. Um, and I personally. It's people's choices. That's what yeah. I've advocated yeah. for for a long time. But I think it's Let's just, see. yeah, the lack of clarity and all the the back and forth. I mean, I think that seems perfectly credible and reasonable. And, you know, I, it's it's hard to justify. And it sounds like this course. So I'm interested to read that um, that decision. And I thank you for bringing it to my attention, Chris. Yeah, I just popped earlier today, and um, anyway, and then the airlines thing just popped literally while we were speaking. Yeah, so, well, thank, thank um, you for that, Chris. I'm going to move, try to move through folks a little quickly today because I can't sit here for two hours like I've done in the past because, like I said, i got to get up early, and I must wash my you, hair Marie. tonight. But thank you, You're Chris. You're the best. You're the best. Thank, thank you, you for calling Have in. Have a good night. You too. Reed, what's on your mind this evening? Unmute yourself and let us know. Hey, thank you so much. So just quickly, I just am curious about how, what is it that we can do as your viewers, your listeners, all those other people that are connected to this, what can we do to sort of support Christian around, I mean, Chris Smalls, excuse me, and around his work doing this? Yeah, it was so um, interesting because I asked him about, you know, like kind of financial support because most yes, of us obviously aren't in Staten Island or in New York. 
And he seemed reluctant to you know, promote his own personal GoFundMe, which I understand the optics of that. And he indicated that there was a link to support ALU, generally speaking. And so I think that giving donations there would also be helpful. I don't, I don't have a good answer for what to do beyond that. I'm sure, like he said, like many, many facilities across the country have reached out to him, asking him for support. And so there very well may be an Amazon facility near to you that is going through this process and might be able to use your resources more locally, locally, whether it's showing up and helping a flyer or giving money for signs and those kinds of resources or just being there in solidarity. I'm not sure, but maybe, maybe I will reach out and see if there are any um, resources being put toward a kind of centralized digital presence so people can find out what is happening in their community. Cause I think a lot of folks are going to have the same question as you. Thank you. And I want to make room for someone else, but I also want to say, I'd love to be your roaming producer and best <laughs> of luck to you. Thank you, Reed. I should, I should so. have another resume drop. <laughs> Thank you. Reed. Oh, I appreciate see you. See you. Uh, Rika, how you doing? Hey, Bree, I'm doing good. Um, First off, I just got to say your past episodes have been amazing. Oh, uh, I'm so amazing. glad. Oh, my God. Literally every episode was like, this is what I want to hear. Oh, bad babe. <laughs> yes. Go, girl. Yes. You're so, so sweet. Oh, I'm so um, glad to hear that. It's yeah. so hard to read you guys sometimes. Like, I never know what is going to land with the audience. Well, I'm, you know, I'm over here just like, you got someone who is getting arrested for this mm-hmm. amazing action. We're mm-hmm. going to talk because for me, at least I, I'm like of the democracy now type ish. Like I want to hear about like the nitty gritty of what's happening in the world. I don't necessarily need to hear what's like, what's popular. I want to mm-hmm. hear like what's, what's going down on the ground locally because mm-hmm. that's so hard to find, you know, like mm-hmm. that's like my favorite. So and no one was reporting on those people getting arrested for mm-hmm. the, you know, actions. And I'm just like, we need to know about this stuff, especially mm-hmm. when people are like amped up, ready to go. Let's do something, you know, let's, I'm going to say the word because I believe in this word, organize, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so, and, and that's actually why I wanted to make sure I called it because this episode with Chris Malls was amazing as all the interviews have been with him and as a someone who was a professional organizer mm-hmm. for unions i've just like over freaking joyed that we got a big ass win you mm-hmm. know like it's just like yes yes big win big yeah. w on the board you know um, yeah, it has felt bleak it has started to feel impossible i gotta say and this <laughs> this was a pick-me-up i think a lot of people needed well i think for like nash for like a national kind of wave of optimism yes mm-hmm. i think as someone who's been organizing doing that union organizing work mm-hmm. um it, you know it's it is it is very very hard work no matter how big and how small your shop is, like it's always going to be difficult. And the fact that they organized against this behemoth, I'm I, I'm not going to lie. There was a part of me that's like someone was sleeping on the job <laughs> because because they're not because they they didn't do such, and that's not to undermine Chris at all. Mm-hmm. It's just it's like I you know it's just it's just great. It's great work. But there was a couple things that were mentioned that I have to like address and 
one of them is this kind of underlying issue and you kind of brought it up with like mentioning Jane Rackley and stuff but like the the going with an established union versus mm-hmm. not and the mm-hmm. choice to do that right mm-hmm. and you know there there are certain I hate the way that it's kind of being talked about in conversations and like media is like oh, you didn't go with an established union. It's like done in this way where it's like all established unions are corrupt. And it's like, no, 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 that's not true. There's a lot of, there is a lot of power that established unions have that they can certainly leverage for an organizing campaign. A lot of that comes from money and resources Mm -hmm. and staff and a shit ton of staff. Now, there is a lot of, important reasons to consider doing it independently because a lot of the big 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 unions out there they are they 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 usually have their agenda right they usually have an agenda for why they're going in to organize a place and it's usually strategic and so they are going to make sure that they're going to invest a lot of resources into it but they're going to want to do it their way when you say an agenda what do you mean by that so a lot of like you know, and you'll hear Jane McAleve talk about this a lot too, is like there are strategic industries that people are trying to organize, mm. right? And there are strategic reasons why people want to go and expand their union. It's not just because of dues money. It's because they know that they're going to grow exponentially by getting this many people in this particular workplace that falls in their purview of their industry, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, and so... That is, and when you go, I've worked for a little, also like kind of betting on a winning horse. And I I don't mean that, like, I don't mean that too cynically, but sometimes you hear that with endorsements too, like, oh, Bernie doesn't want to, or some progressive doesn't want to endorse some obviously progressive candidate because they're concerned they're going to lose and they don't want all the losing record. They don't want the media narrative to be, oh, all of Bernie's endorsees lost. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. That's a part of it. You know, like. You don't want you don't want to lose, right? Because then if you lose, then you are kind of basically saying that you can't do your job, which mm-hmm. is organized, right? Like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so no, there is definitely that calculus at play. I'm not saying that, but what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that there there if workers who are listening to your podcast and to all this listening to Chris and and they should be listening because they should be learning how to organize. <laughs> um, they, they should consider, there are many reasons why you would want to consider going with an established union, is what I'm saying. Like, there, there, for, there's a lot of established unions that have a ton of units that are really, really big, sometimes um, have a lot of resources that they can give and a lot of staff that they can help to support and guide people. And that kind of brings, and, and then there's also reasons to not consider doing it right which is like sometimes they can be top down heavy with their agendas right Mm -hmm. sometimes they um the there's funding the way that funding works in some of these big unions right bigger unions Mm -hmm. is um you know they kind of can use that as leverage if they're not getting the results that they want on a campaign so like totally get that and appreciate that the other um, but I just wanted to say it's a little bit more complicated than just like anti an established union because if you, they want to file like an unfair labor practice or, you know, they if they do get a contract and they have a grievance that that has to come out of their pockets. Um, and that is really difficult to do when you are just starting as a union. Right. And so, yeah, for yeah. sure. And I'd, I'd love to have a guest on that. That's what I was saying. Like, I would love to have someone who is 
more traditional organizer with someone from AL Lou or Chris Malls again to talk through that decision making because I honestly didn't feel especially knowledgeable in saying, well, you know, apart from asking, you know, what why the choice to 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 found your own union, what kind of like the historical legacy of doing so is. I mean we talk a lot about union density being lower, but I don't really have a clear sense of how many fewer independent unions there are versus at the peak of union density. You know, those are all kinds of interesting questions and the development, you know, how, how it happened the last time around as unions were growing would be good perspective to know how we should perhaps model it this time around, but maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. There, I, you know, I am want to be clear too. And I say this fully supportive of independent unions Mm -hmm. (laughs) should be a lot more of them, but I just, I just think that, there's a strategic, usually generally uh, intentionally calculated decision on why someone would want to go with an establishment is because mm-hmm. they probably recognize that they don't have the capacity to hold down the work themselves in the way right. that Chris right. is willing to do. But which brings Swamp me to Witch, my- Swamp Witch 2000 says, I organized my workplace recently and we really couldn't have done it without the help of the larger union, namely the yes. ones they afforded us. Yes. The larger yes. group we're part of really pushed the quote organizing and not the quote servicing model, i.e. a lot of emphasis on making our unit worker led. We were extremely yes. discerning about who we decided to work with and I tell anyone to do the same. Yes. Okay, so that's, and that's the point. When you are looking for- who you want to go with, you want to make sure that you're having explicit conversations about who's calling the shots on the campaign, which if they're a good union, they're going to, they're, they're going to be known to be like, you guys do always, always 110%. And there isn't a union campaign that I haven't been a part of where that hasn't really been the case, mm-hmm. but, the, but you want to make sure that that's explicit upfront and that you are about organizing that you're about. And what I mean by organizing <laughs> is <laughs> building a base of people who are going to take concerted collective action together around the issues they care about. That's what it means. And so a union that is doing that is willing to do that and go to in the paint for that is, is, is the union that you want to go with. Um, if you're looking at established unions and, and, but that also brings me to the thing that I wanted to mention was just like, there is such an, there's this kind of like critique of the professional organizer mm-hmm. and very warranted in many ways, especially if, um, you know, as someone who has organized people where I'm not working in their workplaces, that is a huge challenge when I'm trying to have one-on-one conversations with people to get, you know, to not only suss out, like, could you, like, who are your relationships, et cetera. There's a, there's a, a thing, the one-on-one conversation that we have when we're organizing people is a very intentional conversation where we're, we're not just trying to convince people, quote unquote, to mm-hmm. like form a union. We're trying to be very clear about what their self-interest is and to mm-hmm. tie that into why union is important, right? Well, so they ultimately make the Does decision. that resonate with you, this idea? Like it would make sense to me when Chris says, I work at Amazon. I worked at Amazon for, what did he say, six years? And my, my friend worked for Amazon for a similarly long time. We went down to Bessemer and said we can connect with Amazon employees because no one knows our lingo and nobody knows what it is to be on the inside the way we do. And God bless all of you other organizers, the RWDSU folks, but it's just a different job. It seems it, that makes sense to me that yeah. someone who can literally say, hey, I was in your shoes, literally. And in fact, they fired me for just advocating somewhat for basic COVID protections. You know, to have that credibility, does it, what what do you make of the idea that that kind of advice would have been 
received and that there wouldn't have been anyone down there organizing with them that didn't work for Amazon. So, so I want to be clear, like 100% if when a worker is having a work, so a worker who works in that workplace Mm -hmm. is having a conversation with another worker who works in that workplace is going to be 10 times better Mm -hmm. (laughs) than a conversation with me. And when you're working with a union organizer, like their role primarily should be to help support those conversations happening, getting Mm -hmm. to a place where people, encouraging people to have those conversations and doing those conversations, those one-on-ones as much as possible, because that's going to be a greater chance of success Mm -hmm. for sure. And because of exactly what Chris said, they know the ins and outs, they can Mm -hmm. speak to that experience, but that isn't to say that a outside organizer or staff organizer for a union is not important. There's a mm-hmm. difference, right? Mm-hmm. Like what we bring is because we work on a lot of campaigns. And for some of us, we are, we're unionized at our unions, right? So mm-hmm. we do have experience working and organizing for our contracts, you know, filing grievances mm-hmm. or working on issues within our union. And some of us have been in shops where they have been unionized beforehand. Mm-hmm. But what we really bring to the table is just a shit ton of experience with campaigns where we know what's coming down the pipe. We also mm-hmm. know kind of like you had a lot of questions about like, well, how do you get this going? Like, I think you asked Krista, mm-hmm. right? Like, how do you get this started? And we know the system very, very well in terms of like how to form a union. And we, mm-hmm. so we can break that down for people, help explain what like the bare minimums are needed what what you're likely going to see from um, the boss in terms of anti-union messaging, because it's the same. It's literally the same across the board. Mm-hmm. It just varies in like colors and flavors and intensity, but it's literally the goddamn same thing. Mm-hmm. So like we bring that to the table and that is so important, so valuable when you're you're really asking people to take a huge, bold risk and, you know, go to their bosses and demand that they have a union. Yeah, right? to, to have someone who isn't inside, who isn't directly taking those hits, I think would you know strip them of a lot of credibility. Tessa May is saying, you know, it's true to have, so, it's better to have someone on the inside leading the organizing drive. And that's making me think of, sorry, I'm not, yeah. I'm not organized. I don't have a lot of references, but it's making me think of um that cutie pie. What's his name from my walking dead? Uh, Steven, Steven Young's character in um, sorry to bother you. And, you know, the choice to have him start working there as an employee and kind of, you know, start seeding the idea from the inside once he's built a relationship with some of the people who worked there and has worked there for a period of time. Yes, we call, so there's a name, it's called SALTS, and I Mm. forget what the acronym stands for, but yeah, when you have people who work inside and then they organize from the inside out, but they're still affiliated with the union, that's Mm. a, that's a real ass thing, you know, like Mm. that is, and that is so, so awesome (laughs) to -hmm. do that and but what I all I'm trying to get at is when I'm this conversation around the successful union is important and what is I don't think is gonna help continue this wave is the not that Chris is doing this like explicitly or not that anyone's really doing this but there's kind of like this like um little poo-pooing on some some of some of the things that exist out there and currently Mm -hmm. how it is. Right. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, there are a lot, there is critiques out there that we can talk about maybe some, you know, in shop kind of stuff, but Mm -hmm. like there, 
what I want to encourage people is like, you know, outside or people having an organizer who is a staff person of that union support you is is can be a really really important useful helpful great thing um and is it it isn't like <laughs> it isn't like they shouldn't be trusted or they should never come to your campaign you should never go work with them if they suggest to do that it's kind of like the norm mm-hmm. and but it is it is also incredible like what's going to be successful is not whether or not you have an outside organizer in or not what's going to make a campaign successful is if you have incredible worker leaders on your campaign who are willing to have all of the conversations with as many people as possible as quickly as possible and are willing to take that bold action of being out loud public proud Mm. like chris was saying Mm. and and doing it in such a way where they're going to keep going no matter what right like for perspective can you are you able to tell us uh where what union you work for what your role is yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. If, I don't mean to make you if you if you can't if you don't feel comfortable doing so. No, no, I totally I'm totally willing. I so I I worked for and, and this is public. It's on my LinkedIn profile. It's not like I'm like hiding anything. But you know, mm-hmm. so this is um, I worked for SEIU mm-hmm. at one point on a campaign to organize um, faculty at the University of Minnesota, mm-hmm. and then I worked on a campaign or I worked for. The Minnesota News Guild recently, um, which is the CWA, so um, which is part of the Communication Workers of America, because which um, an amalgamated union, which is a really really big union. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the News Guild. The so the other thing, and, and this will be my last thing. It was just I just get excited because you're talking about stuff that I know about. I'm like, oh my god, yes. So, um, <laughs> but the other thing that I think is so, just my to summarize my comments. Not all professional having a professional paid organizer is not horrible. It's actually can be really, really helpful. Um, and big unions aren't always doesn't mean they're bad unions. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean it at all. It means yeah, they have yeah. a lot of money sometimes. But the other thing is, is that you know, not only to be successful, like do you need like amazing people who are willing to just keep going and you know have those amazing conversations and are really, really good at them. Um, or, and, which is the organizing in our community, but you know having really really thinking about locals that are willing to like be there for you and support you and like are rooting for you all the way and are care about your voice in their local in the future that's Mm -hmm. something else to look for because you know part of people sometimes what i've experienced people who have had bad experience with their unions is that their local just is like doesn't really do a good job of encouraging participation in their local and like wanting them to be a part of that union democracy kind of thing Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like a two-way street sometimes right like you know not everyone wants to go to these board meetings where they're talking about budgets all the goddamn time right like Mm -hmm. can be snoozeville like who Mm -hmm. really does want to sit there and look up spreadsheets all day but but if you really like your union is your union if you want a militant, badass, active union that's a, gonna go on strike for everything, then you gotta show up and you gotta participate and you gotta say that, you know, mm-hmm. like and encourage other people to do the same thing. Like it, it's it, it really is a vehicle for your voice in a way that I would argue is probably some like if you're interested in direct democracy in a way that you are upset that you don't get to experience and are political life nationally like having a union and participating in your local that's where it's at that's all i wanted to say 
Well, thank you for that. I'm glad you called in because I feel like I, you know, but for you, like I wish I had you and or someone who was more savvy and in the know on the on the interview because I'm I'm always interested to hear that you know back and forth of perspectives. And hopefully we'll we'll be able to set something like that up going forward. But you've already given me a lot of insight to help moderate that future conversation. So thank you, Rika. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much, Bree. All right. Take care of yourself. You My too. cousin Eric. Eric Gray. The one and only. <laughs> Eric, we had somebody on here the other day and I was referring to his cousin Eric and they like fully didn't understand that you weren't my cousin and I didn't have the heart to correct them. <laughs> <sighs> Which I think makes you just my actual cousin now. Let's get the birth charts out. Let's look up Ancestry.com. Let's make this happen. Uh, might as well at this point. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your mind this evening? Um, like I, like I said before, I mean, um, the like the Union victory for Amazon, again, showed that politicians aren't really that necessary anyway. Um, also, to anyone who's criticizing his Chris's appearance on Tucker Carlson... Here's a, here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a PSA from me to them. Shut the fuck up. Because <laughs> it's so stupid. Why would, why, would you, why would you not want to go and speak to people you wouldn't normally speak to? Mm-hmm. That's called reaching across class. That's called understanding class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's common fucking sense. Yeah, um, he was saying that even on Staten Island, the facility is like 75% black or Latino. It's like New York. Like, and he was saying that the union busters are sending in people with like, you know, sticks up their butt looking like Colonel Sanders or like, you know, attractive women trying to just flirt with people and get them, you know, on their side. And the idea that the union busters have a better sense of what people in the locality find familiar and reassuring as opposed to the guy who literally was working at the very facility and is from the area. It's just really, it's, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, and 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 overall, like again, my lovely state of Florida. Mm-hmm. I I assume everybody's heard about this um, new issue. <laughs> um, especially I teach math, so apparently fifty-four of our textbooks got banned. Yeah, what's going on? Math. You know, what, what is even in a math textbook that's like CRT now at this point? Let me let me tell you let me tell you something about how math textbooks are written. Um, they're the most straightforward, boring thing you've ever read. And, it's, <laughs> and I'm, I'm a math I'm a math teacher, and I'm like, yeah, these things are straightforward and boring as hell. The point is, is that it's process oriented. Mm-hmm. No one's giving like. When I when I heard this, I'm like, dude, I'm like, y'all just pick up a fucking math book and read through some of the problems and explanations. This is step by step. There's nothing to do with. So the questions aren't like the questions aren't like if 1619 was the founding of America. Jesus. And 50 years later, X, Y, and Z happened. How many years transpired between the founding of America and X, Y, and Z? Is that not how the questions are written? Hell no. (laughs) Hell no. And like this, it's already bad enough. Like a lot, a lot of my students aren't great at math, so I find myself repeating things that I wouldn't normally want to keep repeating. Um, and yeah, I'm like, I've never seen that before in a math book at all. Mm-hmm. And, and for that to be an issue when that's one of the biggest areas you have teaching shortages in, because any motherfucker that want, that teaches math, that knows math, doesn't really want to teach it. Mm. So why would you, unless you want to phase out public education, that's the only thing I can think of. 
Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I confess that I haven't attended very closely to that. I was traveling this weekend uh, doing a talk with Glenn Lowry in Providence. And then I picked up uh, some food poisoning and have been basically out for the last two days. Oh, damn. Uh, not paying attention to anything. Uh, but I will be following up on that, especially since I'll be on Rising for the rest of the week. And I'm sure it'll come up in, in some segments if it hasn't already. Uh, and- yeah, I just, I'm always very curious specifically because you remember when I talked to Andrew Sullivan, I was like, okay, look, maybe there's something bad in the textbook. You tell me. You seem to be very convinced that there's something very, very bad in these textbooks. So surely you'll be able you need to, to have me some examples of what these are. And, you know, he was unable to, on the spot at least, and I said, you can have time to look it up on your phone or whatever. This is this is not live. You can Google it. We can cut that Google part out. Look, t- tell me what is so terrible that's happening in Virginia right now. Just tell me, and maybe I'll agree with you. And he wasn't able to do it. And so I feel the same way about this math stuff. Like, I feel like the best thing you can do sometimes is force people just to say out loud what it is they're objecting to. Yeah. And that, speaking of that, there's something, have you ever, I don't know if you've done a teacher panel yet. No. Um, Because this, this, it has to happen at some point. Hmm. Because, because this, this shit is getting out of control. That's a good idea. That's a good uh, idea. Well, because like, bro, I'm 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 not doing this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, you already got too many teachers retired. Well, with COVID and everything, mm-hmm. retirements, and then there's not enough teachers coming and replacing. It's mm-hmm. it's a nightmare. Were they just going to use that as a justification to say the teachers are terrible, teachers unions are terrible, then we need to do more private education? I mean, that's part of their goal, right? Just to end the public education system. They're but, you know they don't they don't have a problem with there being a paucity of teachers. They're just like great. That's Part of the plan to end the public education system. Ah, capitalism. We gotta love this shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I haven't been following that story, but I'll catch up on it. I did, while uh, Rika was talking, renew my subscription to the New York Times. I did it because I love you. And because, so I could read this story about the federal judge strikes down mask mandates and planes for public transit. If you guys want me to read, do some of that from behind the paywall. I'm happy to do so, but I don't want to commandeer the topic for today if you guys are not interested in hearing a little bit about what the rationale is behind that particular story. But thank you, as always, for calling in, Eric. And funnily enough, you and the other Eric, who is not my cousin, are always back-to-back in the queue. (laughs) I don't know what goes on with that. I I don't know. (laughs) Lots of Eric's. Eric's abound. Thank you for calling in. That's a really good idea for a teacher's panel. I'm going to give some thought to who should be on that panel. Uh, so it's, you know, representative of a, a broad range of perspectives, but thank you for that, Eric. No problem. Appreciate it. All right. Eric Smith, the other Eric, not lesser, not greater, just different. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hey, Bree. Hey, Eric. Oh uh, yeah. I guess us Eric got to stick together, especially since he spells <laughs> it correctly too. <laughs> we don't want no K's up in here. No. <laughs> None. <laughs> What's in um, your mind tonight? So I just had to say, I, I thought the interview with Chris Moles was really good, really great. I really loved it. And okay. um, one of the things that I, I picked up, it kind of went, I remember, I think it was last um, debrief you had where you're talking about leadership and mm-hmm. leaders and like, you know, how some movements just picked the leaders and how like Chris Small probably didn't go in wanting to be a leader, but him being in this leadership role, I think, helped mm. push this across the line. And the way he chose, like, I think he's a good, like, uh, model for how a leader in a leftist type, any type of leftist movement should be where it's, 
you do have a uh like a um a focal point but at the same time it seems that he has this way of making sure people understand that I don't make any decision by myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that there's like while there is there is no hierarchy part I would think he would say there is no hierarchy and that the people in the union are always going to have a say it's good to have some type of public face and figure to represent because you can't always just have a hundred people out in the world and mm-hmm. who's going to do the interviews or who's going to do the talking mm-hmm. and when you have all those people things can get muddled mm-hmm. and people can pick apart so i think that's one of the good things in having some type yeah, you of you got to organize the media too you got to mm-hmm. organize your comms strategy as well that i mean that's how you avoid getting co-opted the way black lives matter has been done oh my god that was that whole organization is just a mess and is disgusting what's going on right now with that and the other thing i was this is going to change the subject a little bit um because i didn't get to talk um in a couple of debates this goes back to i uh this goes back to when you had the two people who were running mm-hmm. and unfortunately one of the things you said one of them did drop out mm-hmm. ali dalsimer mm-hmm. yeah um i think if anyone is deciding to run, particularly if you're going to run in a democratic primary, mm-hmm. I believe what the, who I think anyone trying to you know go after an incumbent or you know open seat and they consider themselves a progressive, they consider themselves a leftist. I think their main goal and the main goal of any real progressive who has made it to Congress is to get the DNC to have some fair way of implementing at least two debates. If you are an incumbent and you have a primary challenger, you have to have at least two debates. Mm. I don't, because to me, the first, the one of the first um, barriers into getting your name out is that these people can avoid you. Yep. So but they're good have, for ratings too. You would think that CNN Plus would want to get all over this. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're doing horribly. I'm pretty sure you're doing better than CNN Plus. <laughs> Much cheaper investment. <laughs> but um, that so that was just my little take. I, I after I remember after listening to that debrief, I think that if you believe in any type of electoral politics within the democratic system, within the democratic primary, you have to have to find a way to break through and um, get these debates. And I think that's also a problem I find with a lot of, of um, any type of, of organization is they, ch- I, I know we have the saying, you know, we can eat and chew gum at the same time, mm-hmm. but I don't think, you know, technically we should be able to, but I don't think we can. I think you have to knock them down one wall at a time. So the first wall, I think, for anyone trying to run, you have to team up with whoever you got in Congress, team up with all the other people running. And you said, we need debates. Yeah, I will say I want to give credit to uh, both Marcel Dixon, who we had on the show, who's running against Jim Clyburn and uh, Shahid Buttar, obviously, who's been on the show several times, who has run now, I think is running maybe the second or third time against Nancy Pelosi who've been really beating that particular drum and asking Mm -hmm. why there isn't a broader demand for these people who've been in office for like 30 years to submit to a simple debate. The same with the, but Tim Ryan, um, we had Morgan Harper on the show and her Republican primary opponent is willing to talk to her because they are kind of mutually benefited by getting the, you know, the press off of it. But Tim Ryan thinks he can coast through everything. Oh my God. And that's an open seat too. That one's shocking. Like it's an open seat. Yeah. And they get away with it. 
because there's no call for it. There's absolutely no call. And if the Democratic establishment is so confident about its candidates and so confident that they know the way, they should be providing that platform. That these these news stations, which are ostensibly just DNC operatives at this point, should be happy to provide the platform. And you would think, at the very least, for pure capital capitalism reasons. They would be interested in the ratings bonanza that could come off of something like that. Can you imagine Nancy mm-hmm. Pelosi having to submit to a oh. debate for the first time since like 1983 or whatever the hell oh, yeah. it was? She's tripping and stumbling over her feet. Right. Or Diane Feinstein, <laughs> God bless her soul. Oh, no. I feel bad about that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. That's but kind of the point. Mm-hmm. The last thing I'll say before I go, and it's this is to me is where I really, um, lose what I what how I lost faith in like the squad and even Bernie Sanders is the fact that to me this is a something that they can call for mm-hmm. and I don't understand how the media can come at them mm-hmm. in a negative way. Like if Bernie Sanders and all the other squad members say, listen, all the people in the Democratic Party, we call ourselves Democrats. If you have a primary challenger, you should have to submit to two debates. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Mm-hmm. And and, and if the media comes after, well, we call ourselves Democrats. So the fact that they don't do that just to me is like, why are you? It just shows again you you say you don't like the system, but you support it. Yeah, well, it's actually it quite the opposite. I remember back in 2018 when you know that that midterm cycle was coming and all those progressives were running. There were the DNCs specifically blacklisted vendors. So if you mm-hmm. like set up state sound stages, provide catering, do lighting you know, book events, all of these, like, these people are not even in politics, you know? If a vendor were to work for someone challenging an incumbent, they would be blacklisted from working for a a DNC candidate, a Democratic candidate for the rest of their lives. Like, that's the level of obstruction that the Democratic Party has to this. So, of course, they're never going to be open to the idea of of a debate, but we should be calling for it to, again, expose the extent to which this is not a free and open electoral process. So I think that's exactly right, Eric. Awesome. Well, thanks for talking. You have a good night. Yeah, of course. You too. Thank you. All right, David. David, what's on your mind? Hey, Bree. Uh, long-time fan, first-time caller. Oh, well, uh, can you can you Can you hear me okay? <laughs> I can hear you loud and clear. All right. Um, so, I, you know, uh, it's great to have a union win finally. I think we all needed a little win. Mm-hmm. Uh, great interviews with Chris uh, Smalls. Um, um, I, I wanted to know, have you ever heard of the um, New York Drivers Cooperative at all? I haven't. So I actually found out about it through uh, Richard Wolf's website, and I first found out about him through your podcast, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, they have a podcast on there called All Things Co-op. So what it is, is it's a um, New York, uh, you know, worker owned co-op of uh, drivers who are looking to take on Uber and Lyft. And, um, you know, hearing about the union wins and thinking about what they're trying to do got me thinking. So um, I used to live in New York um, and work at the Indian Point uh, nuclear power plant. I now live in California. And, you know, I've been following what the absolute nothing that happened with single payer out here and the same thing happened out in New York. Um, And I had this pretty far out there idea of what if uh, 
somebody, like some of the activists and organizers and professionals in the in the healthcare fields, got a worker and customer owned co-op that was uh, made up of three three parts. And the first part would be a health insurance co-op. The second part would be a pharmaceutical drug co-op that was make that would start with generic drugs. And then the third part would be a health care provider co-op, so like a clinic or a hospital that was worker owned and customer owned. And we basically tried to implement what you know we would ideally want the government to implement, which would be a you know a, a uh, ideally single payer uh, but obviously you know you'd have to build it from the ground up uh, uh, healthcare system that was responsive to uh, you know workers and customers right so help me understand how this works because the, the big issue with uh, you know single payer systems is as I understand it is just getting a big enough pool. And that is why some states have struggled to do a state-by-state approach. A state like California, which is the world's fifth biggest economy, could totally do it. But a state like Vermont, it's a little bit more of a struggle bus. Right. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, so it, it, would be about, uh, it would be about getting enough people into it to get it mm-hmm. uh, uh, sustain, you know, self-sustaining, mm-hmm. right? But if... You know, I got the idea from, uh, I think uh, the problem with John Stewart had a thing about, um, um, oh, what's it called? Um, reparations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as I'm, wa- as I'm listening to it and watching it and, you know, I'm in full agreement with everything that they're saying, I'm just thinking about how that would never, ever, ever ever happened right uh and so i look up online hey is there a reparations fund like an ngo Mm. that i can just get like can i just give reparations (laughs) right Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. uh, regard like forget the government they're never going to do it can i just give reparations Mm -hmm. right and turns out there is a there is a fund it's an ngo uh and and that idea Hold on, the cat, the cat oh, just came back. No, no, no. Um, uh, could it just got me thinking? What, like, with our completely ineffective and corrupt government, mm-hmm. like, what? You know, watching the union fight. You know, the only wins I think we have are stuff stuff completely outside the government at this point right i i don't see any way that you know uh i i helped get a uh, new york state senator uh james goofus elected in uh in new york the guy i i asked him directly to his face you know will you support single payer health care in new york and his answer was oh yeah we you know i co-sponsored it in the house great you know it, it's one in the house uh i think it was like the past four years at that point right mm-hmm. so we actually flip a state senate seat in stony point new york right mm-hmm. 
uh, been been read for a good decade. And he gets into the state Senate. And right when, you know, the IDC is sort of on the decline, Mm -hmm. right? And guess what he doesn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) co-sponsor? Yep. So, you know, and and I've just seen it over and over and over. And, you know, it's like... Yeah, that's the thing. Liberals think that we're being so cynical and that we're being so histrionic and that we're just whiny babies who don't understand how the system works when they're the ones who haven't been paying attention to just how long it's been rigged. I'm so glad you brought up the IDC because I'll tell you, that was... All that was happening right when I joined The Intercept and working yeah. with Ryan Graham to cover all that stuff was a real eye- eye-opening experience for me as a journalist and as a voter. And all I right. think that the average person just – I mean maybe many New Yorkers obviously were following what's going on. But that's just one example of the kind of shenanigans that are happening on a national level. We just saw whatever just happened in California with their health – with, with uh, AB 1400. Well, you know, so I'll, I'll, give ahead, you, I'll give you a second one just because, you know uh, – Talking about New York. So I worked at the Indian Point nuclear power plant, mm-hmm. right, which was shut uh, shut down recently. And and my stance on nuclear personally is I believe that democracy, if you can't convince people to to trust your industry, I think they should be able to get rid of you. Right. So, uh, like, it, honestly, the people who worked at Indian Point would have been thrilled, thrilled if we were going to be replaced with green energy. We had hundreds of mechanics and technicians perfectly suited to go into solar or wind. Mm. If any, any of those projects, these guys are, you know, trained, like trained, uh, extremely well-trained, you know, have exactly the expertise you need. That was never on the table from 2012 with uh, Cuomo's green energy highway they basically uh, they took uh, responses to requests for information from Spectra Energy to expand the Algon- uh, Algonquin natural gas pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, CPV Valley Energy Center proposal, which is a new natural gas plant that is is built and and uh, in service now. Uh, the Cricket Valley Energy Center and a. F- f- a now former Cuomo aide even went to jail for bribery over the CPV Valley mm. Energy Center. The corruption was so, you know, for a politician to actually go to jail for bribery, mm. you know, it's got to be just extra special, yeah. you know. Because <laughs> nobody goes. Uh, nobody goes. So, you know, there's so much legal legal bribery you can do that, you know, like illegal bri- bribery isn't even necessary. It's just showing off at that point. <laughs> Um, so anyway, like seeing all that stuff first, firsthand, you know, like any, any idea of vote, vote blue, no matter who it's like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, you're, you're singing, you're singing to the choir mm-hmm. and, it, but those examples are really appreciated and I appreciate you, uh, you calling in with them, David. But so the, um, the all things co-op, uh, podcast, if, if, uh, you know, I I enjoyed it, and um, anyway, the idea of the uh, the three co-ops—if you could somehow basically try to stand up Medicare for all outside of the government—yeah, well, the issue the issue with that is getting enough people who are willing to get in the pool, and I think there's pretty legitimate you know concerns that people would, might have with 
sending premiums, you know, to an unknown infrastructure that's just getting off the ground that doesn't have the support that a government supported infrastructure would have. You know, the whole beauty of Medicare for all is that the system is already in place. It just suddenly is administering it to everyone and not just people over 65. Sure. But I guess my stance is my, my health insurance is so bad, right? Uh, I basically, uh, I have one healthcare need and, uh, I, I have ADD. I've had it, you know, all my life. I've been, uh, had treatment for it since I was eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, every healthcare, health insurance we've ever had, I've never had an in-network network shrink mm-hmm. that you could actually drive to. Uh, not once. I've had Cigna, Aetna, uh, United Healthcare. I currently have United Healthcare, what should be a $20 copay, and nobody can explain this to me. I pay $70 a month. Uh, uh, nobody can explain to me why. Um, I, I asked them, what channels do I get for $70 a month? Because um, that's what a cable bill would be. Mm-hmm. But um, the, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just, even my parents uh, uh, don't believe in our health, like believe our health care is Yeah, terrible. yeah, yeah. No, I, David, you do not have to convince me that the current system is awful. But no, 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 the, I know. People are already, you know, the, the kind of you like your health care, you can keep it rhetoric already does work on a great deal of people. And that's talking about transferring it to a credible, you know, government run system, a system that's an expansion on what the government already does. So I I don't disagree with you, David. I'm just raising what the number one concern is going to be, which is that the fundamental, how insurance works, how insurance works is because it relies on a big pool and we spread the risk across a pool. And so your ability to do that is going to be frustrated, I think, by the skepticism people are going to have about whatever this pool is that you're starting up, but I'm not saying that it's a bad idea. I'm not saying it's an impossible idea. I'm sure. just, I'm just pushing back with, with what the basic pushback is going to be. But David, I got to move on because I'm going to yeah, wrap no at problem. 10 today and I got to, no I can't spend quite so long with every caller, but I really appreciate you calling in. Thank you so yep. much. All right. Thanks. All right. Sylvester, how are you doing tonight? Hello. Hey, Sly. What's crackalacking? DB. <laughs> I was I was good, and then I I, I saw this this interview with you and Glenn Lowry. <laughs> like, Yo, why she coming for us in the beginning? He was like, yeah, she was talking about say? stuff. He was just like, yeah, you know, on my calling, it's always a bunch of dudes on there. I be trying, I be, <laughs> I be sifting through the queue trying to find. I'm like, so is it reverse sexism? Like, what's going? What's 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 going okay. on? All I'm saying is we've had one woman so far. Last episode, I will say, we opened with two women. It was strong. Women <laughs> came out strong. I don't know what was going on last week, but I was here for I meant to say something about it, but I didn't want to draw too much attention to it. Uh, I'm not trying to be overly attendant to people's identities up here in the chat. But, you know, you cannot deny. You cannot deny it's a. it can be a little bit of a sausage fest up in here, Sly. That's funny as hell. Yeah, you know, I ain't going to lie to you. I think we do need some more women up here. Um for sure. Oh uh, yeah, I was being funny, but I, 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 I saw the shot. I was like, oh, okay. Glenn is funny. He's a funny dude, though. 
He uh, is. I had such a lovely time with him and, you know, meeting his wife, you know, who's a Bernie bro. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sure they kitchen table debates be lively. <laughs> right. We had he invited me over for dinner afterward with some other professors from the school and we had a lovely time. We got into it. We had a good chat. So you ain't tell me you was getting flown out now too. I ain't know that. <laughs> That's what they do. If I had to go places on my own dime, I wouldn't go a GD place. Not in this pandemic. Not yeah. with these restrictions being what they are. Yeah. LOL. Yeah. You know what they say. <laughs> you know, it would catch flights, not feelings, right? <laughs> Catching these flights, not these feelings. So, nah, I ain't mad at you getting, you know, Glenn to fly you out. But it, he, he's funny, though, because he'll, like, he'll say things and then be like, I'm not trying to say that. Like, uh, like, I don't want to be the guy who's telling you to pick up your pants and, but then like, that's what you're trying to do low key. Um, like when you, when you have all these culture conversations and you like, okay, cool. Like, you know, I'll give you that. Let's say if I give you that, what I think that these material can like improving the material conditions Mm -hmm. will have an effect on whatever it is that you have such a gripe with about teen girls getting pregnant or yeah. whatever. Well, for, so for people who don't know and didn't maybe even listen to the interview we did with Glenn Lowry on Bad Faith last, I want to say, August-ish, um, Glenn Lowry, he's an economics professor at Brown and is considered one of the foremost uh, black conservatives, I'd say, in the country. He has, I believe, a podcast with uh, – um, His name just flew out of my head, even though I fully know his name extremely, extremely well. He's a Columbia – John McWhorter, with John McWhorter, who's one of the other most premier uh, black intellectuals in the country. Uh, And we had a debate about kind of the root causes of the racial wealth gap and the role that, you know, culture in quotation mark plays. And part of why I – I find the debate kind of interesting, although I think it's a little less interesting for other people who are used to making the culture argument. Is my fundamental question is this. Even if it's culture, what is the government's role in changing culture? How can it do that? And should it be its role to do that? And doesn't it ultimately just come down to changing economic policies because that's only the only lever really at the government's disposal? So outside of like shaking your finger and just telling people stop doing that, that's bad, and doing kind of social shaming stuff, maybe getting rid of – you know, conservatives would say get rid of sex ed in school to improve the culture. I would say add sex ed in school to improve the not having the babies bit. Uh, you know, then those are the only levers you really have. So why are we going endlessly and endlessly on about how you think the problems is like absentee black fathers or whatever? And there's nothing you can do about that. But ultimately it is, it seems to me, reading through between the lines as conservatives attributing the racial wealth gap to things that are beyond the government's control to then say the government shouldn't um, be supporting folks supporting a racial wealth, uh, sorry, uh, a social safety net altogether. And they racialize these poverty problems to obscure the extent to which 50% of poor people in America are white. They put a black face on it, cut all the programs. Everybody goes along with it because the white people are too ashamed to raise their hand and say, actually, no, that's me. And that's how the cycle goes round and round. So I'm not really that interested in the culture conversation, not because I'm like personally aggrieved. You know, I was raised by two married parents, like, this isn't a person. I don't. I'm not defensive about it. But the reality <laughs> is, at home. you know, like, like, I don't oh. know. Like not somebody else's gripe. That's not mine. Like you know, <laughs> I, I was raised in a in a traditional household, <laughs> the um, nuclear family, <laughs> right? Which is also ironic because I'm having these debates with people, and it's like you could be asking me about all the cultural benefits of my black household that resulted in all of my successes, right? 
Like that's kind of the obvious elephant in the room. My culture, if, if, if all success and failures is related to culture, that means me with my black American ass with two black American parents who all descended from slavery must have something culturally good, right? Do we not get the good points if we have yeah, to take on all the bad points? That's 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 and then, <laughs> and then the, the interesting part about the argument too is this because even they did it with BLM, they would be like, oh, well, you know, uh, this three year old got shot in a drive by shooting. How come BLM isn't speaking about you know whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But then the whole call for the defunding was to invest in the resources that might help prevent a situation like that from occurring. So like. Yo, I, it, again, it's like you want to make it into this racialized, like y'all just don't, y'all just need to get together, black people, type of. Right. It's like that's what they right. want. The Bill Cosby sermon. The, the Bill Cosby thing, um, and and that'll leave me, you know, because I know you know you you gotta get your sleep and everything like that. That kind of goes into the question I was that I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. was, um, what is, it's two part, but what what is your like favorite. Like, what's your, your, the thing that matters to you? You know, some people it's climate, some people it's immigration, some people it's police brutality. Um, you know, I know that you're a humanist. Which one of the things is really, like, your thing that you're most passionate about? That's so interesting, and this maybe seems like a little bit of a cop-out. Ha, don't cop-out. Don't do it I mean, then. Don't do it then. No, I just want people to have more money, Sylvester. Okay. I want them to have more money, because here's the thing. And you, this came up during the, the Glenn Lowry so poverty. Yeah, like we're, you know, part of the trick of identity politics is conflating the issues that affect affluent black people with poor black people and then only doing the addressing those issues that overlap. So there's a there's a interest in kind of like being followed in a store, um, you know, maternal mortality rate, things that like don't that controlling for poverty don't fix that much like poor people, uh, rich people. Oprah still gets discriminated in a store and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. This kind of HRification of racial justice issues. Don't touch my hair. Don't use the wrong lingo. All of this kind of stuff. That's the kind of neoliberal racial, racial lens. Mm-hmm. And you ignore the fact that Fernando Castile got pulled over and was ultimately killed because mm-hmm. he had so many outstanding tickets for a license for a broken light that he couldn't fix. Because he was working as a beloved school cafeteria worker at his local school. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's not the same. Like, it is true that affluent people get pulled over disproportionately in their cars. But it's not the same as Philando Castile being pulled over. It was some unconscionable number of times. I can't remember the number now. But it was like dozens and dozens and dozens of tickets and dozens and dozens of pullovers he had had. Such that the odds were at least one of them eventually was going to go awry. Damn, yeah. You know? It's so to me, it's like it's fundamentally when you when you if you scratch an issue, there's poverty underneath. You know, if someone is unhomed, it's a poverty issue. Like housing discrimination is totally a thing and it's bad and it should be addressed. But also, I'll tell you what, Sylvester, if I walk into an apartment and they tell me they can't rent to me because I'm black or, you know, they aren't going to tell me that. Obviously, they're they're discriminating against me because they don't think I can come up with the cash. I promise you I have enough money in, in my bank account to stay wherever I'm staying for another week or two. Until I can go and find another place. Right. Because I'm not going to be homeless over it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and like to act like I'm in the same situation as somebody else who isn't resourced because we're both black. It's an insult to the other person. Do, do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like that, that is, that is my gripe. And I, and there's some people on the left, you know, who 
complain about identity politics and they complain about Bernie saying, you know, the bare minimum of let's not hate people of different races at the beginning of his speech. And they say that's why Bernie lost in 2020, because he said, oh, we should be inclusive of blacks and Latinos and Native Americans and all of that and gays and everybody else. And that was like too much woke speak and that turned off the electorate. I think that I'm sorry, I gotta say, I think that's like ridiculous. I think that it is completely true that he didn't talk enough about the other stuff, the strong economic stuff that he talked about and the corruption and stuff that he talked about in twenty sixteen. But people are willing to take a lot of stuff that doesn't isn't germane to them if they're getting what they need down that line the line of the speech. Yeah. And the idea that like it is like such a turnoff to hear that, oh, we live in a country with Latinos and LGBT people and like differently able people and all of that. If that's a turnoff to you, then we have bigger coalitional problems. Like, he glossed over that stuff at the beginning of his speech to insulate himself from the neoliberal attack and then moved on, you know? So I just, I feel I'm really frustrated with the idea that both, you know, neoliberals try to strip the, economics out of everything and also that there are some people on the left who want to strip out the specific racial harms and other you know affinity group harms out of the equation as well because again you you scratch when you get the other you scratch when you get the other and you're just only always getting a piece of the puzzle and i don't understand why that is such a difficult proposition Mm, okay yeah so that like for you that's where your focus like your your bread and butter thing obviously you care about all the things but like with classism yeah Yeah. I mean, look, there's so much money. Sylvester, some people have so much money. Too much. uh, Let me tell you what. I've been exposed to some things in my life. (laughs) Through my education and my. Got flown out. (laughs) Let me tell you. Let me tell you about this this trip, first of all. (laughs) On my way home with food poisoning, my flight got rerouted. We we couldn't land in D.C. because of the thunderstorm. Did Glenn have you on Spirit? No, I was on American Airlines, but let me tell you, okay. I was sitting in the very back of the plane in the last seat by the laboratory. <laughs> and they rerouted us and landed in Philadelphia because we couldn't land. And so we were we were supposed to get in at 7. We didn't end up getting into D.C. until after 10 o'clock. Here I am with my head and my knees trying to be like, oh, Lord, why did they take these vomit bags away in the airplane? <laughs> and everybody in the plane is walking to the back to go to the bathroom and ask for drinks and snacks from the stewardess just hanging over my head in a hot cloud of COVID air. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like rocking back in my fourth in my seat, trying to self-soothe with my earphones on, hoping nobody talks to me like something about a rain man. It was not a cute situation. I was just trying to hold it together. Mm-hmm. So it was not exactly a luxury experience is all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It wasn't exactly, but I enjoyed the trip before I came down with the sickness and I appreciate always chatting with you, Sylvester. I got to get through the queue. I hear people complaining. Oh, I hear people complaining. That it's always the same people. You know, sometimes I try to jump jump around in the queue, but I'm telling you guys, even if I look at the back of the queue right now, I'm seeing a lot of people who call in a lot. I see Kush in the back of the queue. He calls in a lot. I see Tucker in the back of the queue. He calls in a lot. Yeah, it's all Omar, the You know, I've seen Reverend Edmund. I haven't called in you that many times, but I definitely you're familiar. Oh, call Jan, on Nora. Call David. On... Should I call on Nora? I think Nora's a. I don't want to. female. See, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get in trouble. So I'm See, that's be... why that's we are gonna get in trouble. Let me pull Nora up. No, well, let me go to Allie next. So I think the Allie, she's in the queue, and I, that feels like maybe she identifies as female. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and then I'll have to Nora. But thank you as always for calling. In for this <laughs> always. Bye. All right, take care, Allie. Winnie, Winnie the Pooh with a cocktail glass. What's on your mind? Hello. Tonight? 
Hello. Female representation tonight. (laughs) Let's hear it for the girls. (laughs) (laughs) So I got to tell you, not to make you feel bad because it's absolutely not your fault, but I've tried calling you twice. And the first time you called on me, but the speaker's name was Allie. So every time you kept talking, she was answering. So I never had to say anything. too far back in the queue that I wasn't up here so when I heard you saying oh I'm gonna go to Nora I was like no <laughs> I got you Allie I got you what's on your mind you Speak your piece. okay so anyway I'll make it quick because basically I was really just trying to get on your radar um because so there's been like some stuff going on in my town locally that mm-hmm. um organizers here have been trying to like call out and figure out like what the hell's going on and we haven't been getting any media help. So I started like taking upon it myself to like research and figure out like what's going on. Um, and holy shit, Brie, <laughs> I cannot believe what I found. It what's is happening? like, I, I like can't even, I don't like really want to say it over here um, just for like safety reasons because there's been retaliation against people who've been involved in this. Oh. But I just wanted, to, I like came up with like a strategic plan to like, expose the whole thing but I can't do it on my own so anyway I typed up like this whole strategic plan and sent it to you at your bad faith email oh okay um so I know that you are on rising this week and you're probably super busy but um you know when you get a chance if you could check that out uh that'd be awesome okay Allie I'm writing it in my planner so I know it's serious I've got a bullet Uh, journal system where I move things over from week to week so it might take a second but I'm bulleting it right now what is today the 19th no, the 20th. Today's the 20th. I'm going to pull it and right not, here. Allie, like extra check on it or bad anything. faith email. Yeah. yeah, and so not to like extra rush you on it or anything, but like part of the strategic plan and why I think there's an opening right now is because one of the guys involved is running for mayor or I'm sorry, governor. Um, so there's like an election going on. So like, it's not time sensitive, but like a little bit more time sensitive. So, you know, not to rush you just, just so you know. Okay. Allie, I will do my best. Okay. As a, as a limited, it. as a limited person with some pretty totally disastrous understand. executive function skills <laughs> and no assistance guys, I gotta just, I gotta figure out, I'm going to make some assistant money soon. And then I'm going to be firing on all cylinders. You're going to see when I get a little bit of staff support, Imagine what I can accomplish. <laughs> oh, I believe <laughs> when it. When I'm not moderating my own live streams, just just contemplate what I could do. <laughs> <laughs> I totally, I hear you. I know you're one person, so, you know. But okay. I, I will follow I up, Allie, and I appreciate you okay. calling in. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, let's okay. try Nora. Let's Let's give Nora a go. Let's shake it up a little bit in these last 10 minutes. What's on your mind, Nora? Hi, can you hear me? I can. Hi. Um, that's crazy. I'm excited to be on. I, uh, I'm a big fan. I've listened to you for a long time. And you, you interview all of my other favorite people. So really excited. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I'm Swamp Witch. I was the one in the comments talking about um, unionizing my workplace. and. Uh, oh, yeah, Swamp Witch. <laughs> you were like, I am a female, LOL. <laughs> I am, yeah. <laughs> I am. I am a woman and a, a workplace union organizer. Um, I mean, I, I wanted to uh, call out a couple of things. I mean, uh, when we were organizing my workplace, we did take a class from Jane McAlevey. And we, mm-hmm. uh, she has these like free workshops um, and they're like 
uh, I think we we did about like the, it's called like turning the tables, which is like this pamphlet she put together, and like I think it's a lot of the same information that's in a lot of her books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that like I don't know about like maybe some of her older material, but a lot of it is very focused on like um, like rank and file participation, like getting like as many people to like. I don't know, work with the union as possible and like having it very like a worker led um, like union situation. Um, and I, I, I sort of I, I think that that's kind of like what um, Chris Smalls and like the Amazon folks have talked about. Like, I think that those things are a little more um, in line than like, I don't know, than it would maybe seem. Um, and then I think the other thing, uh, I feel like people are often asking, like, oh, well, like, I mean, when we were organizing people, like, in the public and stuff, we're always asking, like, oh, like, what can we do to support, like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I do think that, like, there is a lot to be said for, like, public support in terms of just, like, sort of putting public pressure on the company and, like, embarrassing them and that sort of thing. But I feel like, honestly, like, the best thing anyone can do is, like, organize their workplace if they can. Like, if they're in a place where if like you work for a place where there's like two or more employees like you should just do it like just unionize your workplace and like that's like the direct thing you can do is like just like try to make change where you and your colleagues are I hear that maybe this isn't for me it's not about me because I'm you know a PMC and what have you obviously now I don't have that Um, no, totally. But like, I so think you're thinking, doing more than like most people, Bree. So, well, I mean, I appreciate that, but I'm not. Try- I'm, I've been really thinking about this ever since we had Jane on. I was thinking about my old jobs, and you know, the last law firm I worked at had 12 attorneys and uh, you know, six partners, six associates, and maybe there were another six to eight support staff who worked for us. And I was thinking, well, what would that have looked like? I mean. Would I have been management? I mean, no, I didn't have any supervisory. I mean, I didn't have any like management control over anybody else. Is if just the partners are management? Okay, are we? I mean, it would have been so culturally aberrant at a law firm to be speaking in those terms. Has anyone ever unionized a law firm? I mean, because I know what my demands are. <laughs> I mean, I, what's, well, what's kind of interesting there is I think like my work. Well, I work for the New York Times, mm-hmm. and I work. I'm a member of the PMC. Like I work in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a product manager, and like I really like a lot of people. I think, I myself included, I always sort of was like, "Wow, it'd be cool to be in a union," but like, too bad I'm in. Like, I don't work in a union. Yeah. Place. But I, I, I think like a lot of this sort of like having those conversations and pushing the envelope. Like, I had sort of this like dual thing of like one feeling like, "Well, am I worthy of having this thing?" And then also like, "Who am I to like?" try to do this and then also sort of like looking at my colleagues and being like they don't they don't want to do that like they're not they're... Well, my colleagues definitely didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah I was like I mean I always felt like sort of like a you know a lone like lefty like working there but you know um and I don't know I think like if you kind of start just like talking to your colleagues and like some like I don't know I was very surprised so I think other people may also sort of be surprised um at like who who might be willing to do what and like sometimes it's just sort of like this slow building thing and then like I don't know some some straw breaks the camel's back and like more people are willing to do it and like it's like this slow process of like for years like you're just talking to a bunch of people and being like what would what would you do to make your workplace better like hey have you heard about this thing that happened to this person that was terrible like 
don't you want to help them? I mean, it's really like unions aren't like a, I don't know, they're not like a limited resource. Like everyone can like have one. And it's, it's like, it's also just like, I don't know. I mean, this whole like, I agree. Like I, I sort of like bulk at a lot of the sort of like PMC like rhetoric and like this, like, I don't know, educated class rhetoric stuff, but it's also like, I get, I mean, in bulk at it in that I'm like, yeah, I agree. Like we, we need to figure some shit out and like, we're not like, I don't know. I think like people are often like not great at working, talking to like workers. Like my Mm -hmm. uh, partner is like a blue collar worker and like, I don't know, like some of the ways I see my friends talk to him and like, it's like, there's some communication barriers. Right. But Mm I, I think that like, ultimately if you're honest about it and like sort of like it can be important to help people see that you have a lot more in common with those people than you do with like the Jeff Bezos's of the world right like we're not like I'm not like one lucky company break away from like becoming a billionaire and like even if I work in tech and even if I make like a certain salary and I don't know like it's also like there's more and more people who are going to be working in like the types of jobs that like I have or the types of you know like I don't know these like sort of new types of jobs and I I, it's like Mm. I don't know it's like you have to unionize them while you have like some yeah that's uh, that's the thing that gets ignored in this conversation about who's a real worker and the PMC stuff which you know I I largely agree with it's I see it coming out in the student debt conversation there's this there's this belief that okay the argument is student debt um benefits people who are on average more affluent. And I think we can break those numbers down a little bit. And I don't know how strong that actually is. Cause if you adjust for people's student debt, oftentimes they're like have negative net worth. Right. So me, for instance, before this student debt put, um, pause, if you had asked me in the summer of 2020, when I was unemployed and still had my looming student debt, the pause had just started what my net worth was for sure it's negative. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? For sure it's negative. So that's a little bit of the, but I understand the point, the broader point they're making is the people who have the opportunity to even apply and go to college are ahead of the game. It's also ignoring the extent to which a lot of these people have debt from vocational school, from for-profit exploitative colleges, you know, never graduated and all these other kinds of things. I get the general argument. However, in any other context, Politically, we're so happy to talk about the middle class. In fact, both political parties are allergic to saying the word poor. Yeah. They don't want to do things for the poor because those people are like undeserving and they've done something wrong, obviously. But so every, every, every policy is geared toward the middle class. All the tax breaks for homeowners, all of the write off, writing off of your mortgage interest, all of that nobody has a problem for. Let's give middle class. We've got to help the middle class. We've got to help the middle class until we're talking about student debt. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. And suddenly it's, oh no, it's a Richie Rich. It's like, no, I don't know how many times, Nora, I have to add things. Hey, rich people aren't taking out student debt. My rich friend who went to NYU, I promise you, paid sticker price. Right. My poor friend on the campaign, who's the daughter of immigrants, had to drop out of NYU because I wouldn't give her any financial aid, still has the debt from her first year, transferred to American. They wouldn't give her financial aid for the second year and then had to transfer into a community college here while she was working full-time for the Bernie campaign. It's nuts. You should go listen to her story on the, on a the student debt episode of the here, the burn, which I'm still very proud of. And I'm extremely proud of her for weathering through all of it, but it's malarkey. It's so, it's such bullshit. It's not fair. Um, oh, sorry. That was the wrong oh, button. Richard. That was, Wolf, like, that was supposed to be this one. Super son of a bitch. <laughs> 
Richard Wolf talked about um, this sort of in, in like a different way. He talked about like trying to talk to his like fellow professors about like, I don't know, identifying as like working members of the working class. And they sort of balked at it as like, oh, gross. Like we don't want to be associated with like the working class. And and then like, I don't know, then I hear it from, from people who are I like sort of like on the left saying like, oh no, like I don't like deserve this like moniker of working class. And it's like, it's like, it's both of it is like so stupid and ridiculous. It's like the whole point of like building solidarity is like looking for the things about you that like, I don't know, like that are, I don't know, like building like connections with people and the sort of thing, like you can recognize your privilege and like say like, yeah, like I had a lot of these opportunities and like, yeah, I'm paid a lot more than this person. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, like, it's good to get people to identify with people that are not like them. Like I, mm-hmm. like I can donate money to someone like Chris Smalls and like, I can like, you know, because I have this stuff and it's just like, I don't know. It's the whole thing of just, it's, we really just need to like work together on this shit, you know? So. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And I was, I think the one, one of the other hangups is I've experienced this being like a small business owner now myself that I hate making decisions <laughs> like I hate the idea that I have to pick somebody's salary and there's something that seems very arbitrary about it I I like I hate like and 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 being in that position is to say I'm going to take the reins and it's not enough just to say I think this is unfair it's that I actually have to decide what is going to be fair salaries for everybody and fair benefits and what can keep the whole institution going and suddenly those are those decisions that are following on falling on me as a cooperative owner in some ways in this in this venture and that is that can be kind of heavy (laughs) i gotta say that can be kind of heavy and i think that is probably something also that keeps folks as i reflect on what it would have been like at my law firm to try to unionize keeps folks from wanting to really get involved but that's you know that's no excuse someone's going to do it it's going to be someone who's a lot less you know um empathetic and it's going to be someone who issues. doesn't have your interests at heart, right. probably, like, is the thing. It's, like, it's, I, yeah, like, that's the thing, like, unionizing, like, being in a union is so much goddamn work. Like, it's so much work. Like, I just, I, I'm exhausted, honestly, after yeah. organizing and I'm exhausted, like, trying to go through this contract process and all of it's so tiring, but it's, like, I I don't know if I, if it's, it feels like if you don't do it, then they're, you know, these like bosses will just continue to keep screwing you over. And like, if you just won't be in the room and they'll just like, you know, maybe deign to hand you some like, like, like a nice benefit maybe, but also they might take it away. So you're right, Nora, Nora, yeah. you're right. Look, I want to, I want to sing the praises for a second of Nora, Rika and Allie who really came through with a lot of hardcore, like the, the, the ladies are bringing some union knowledge today is all I have to say. So, so kudos to that cohort. I also don't want the boy, I don't, boys, Sylvester and co. I don't want you to feel like I don't appreciate you too. <laughs> I'm not trying There's to start like the gender right. wars, <laughs> but I do want to say, I'm going to have an outro song for you boys, but I do want to, I just want to sing the praises briefly of everyone who brought some really good, useful union knowledge to the chat today. I hope we continue this. This has been really great. I'm sorry I have to cut it off a little bit short today. I've got to get my life together and try to get on this morning to noon, you know, to get off my podcaster's lifestyle, get on a daily show, morning show lifestyle. But thank you all. You guys are the best. Thank you for calling in, for listening. Remember that you can include 
uh, you can you can clip sorry bits of the episode and download them as audio files and pr- promote them to Twitter. Tag me and I will retweet them. The easiest thing to do is a retweet. A sister loves a retweet. When you already format it and put a quotation from the clip in the tweet, so all I have to do is is quote is retweet it without having to listen to it and contextualize it and do that little bit of additional labor. You know, I'm trying to minimize my hours on Twitter these days, especially since the algorithm is not my friend. But thank you all for calling in. I see you, Fractal. I saw your note in the the message on Patreon. You're great. All of you are great. And I'll see you in a few days on Thursday for that episode. And let's hear it for the boys, too. Oh,